Many of us have probably experienced staying in a cabin over a weekend or a week or whatever it may be. But how many of you have truly experienced staying in a cabin deep in the middle of nowhere with no civilization for miles upon miles where anything, and I mean anything, can go down? Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true cabin horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, whether it's a story from a cabin or something different, please be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Be sure to hit that like button and subscribe if you're new, and get ready for some creepy and allegedly true cabin horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. It's summertime, and the last thing you want to be is stuck inside not being able to hang out with your friends or family. Well, HelloFresh has you covered with meals from their Taste of Summer series that are sure to become everyone's new favorites like the Old Bay Shrimp and Sausage Boil and family-style grilled steak lettuce wraps. Go to HelloFresh.com Swamp16 and use code SWAMP16 for up to 16 free meals and 3 free gifts. Join me and many others in the swamp today and find out why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Not too long ago, my mom wanted the family, my parents and three siblings, to go on a two week vacation, sightseeing various sites in California while camping. Well, this quote unquote camping was just us renting cabins. Closer to the end of this vacation, we stayed in a cabin motel type of place not too far out of the Sequoia National Park, if I remember correctly. It was in a small town with just a couple hundred residents. The area the cabin rentals were situated reminded me much like a motel setup. The cabin was recently updated and modernized. It was overall very nice. Yet I got a sense that my family and I were not the only ones staying in that cabin that night. I did not want to be alone in that cabin at all. This is coming from someone who enjoys being alone on a normal basis. I told my sister about the uneasy feeling I had. I told my sister about the uneasy feeling I had, but she tried reassuring me that maybe I just didn't like being in a new, unfamiliar place. It didn't really work, and I continued to feel uneasy the entire time. I would be taking a shower and would feel watched. Every so often, when I would be the only one left alone in the cabin, I would hear knocking on the walls. I would ask my family and siblings, and nobody would admit to doing this. Luckily, we left only after two nights, and I eventually forgot about the unease. A few months later, my mom and I were watching Dateline together. This was one of our favorite shows to watch. They had images of a cabin and motel type thing that looked an awful lot like the one we stayed in. My mom looked it up, and it ended up being the exact same one. It turns out, that episode was about a killer who had been a handyman at the cabin throughout the 90s. I feel like I'd been able to tell that someone had died in the cabin my family had stayed in. I didn't know about this killer before I stayed at the cabin. I can't be sure, though. I don't think the police were able to confirm that someone was killed in the cabins. The killer had only been convicted of two murders. It's suspected he killed many other people, though but it still hasn't been confirmed. I don't think he stopped at just two murders, in my personal opinion. Do you guys think that maybe I encountered the spirits of one of those victims? I'd love to know in the comments.
When I was eight years old, we moved to the place where I still live to this day. The house lies at the end of a dirt road in a rural village. Surrounding the house are fields, scattered forest, and many more patches of grass. Our property is not very large, just the ground directly surrounding the house. In front of the house is an open grass field with some small tree patches here and there, as well as some higher and lower parts. It's not completely flat. After what I think is around one mile, the field stops and the trees start. I had only gone out there a total of three or four times to explore when I was younger. Most of the times I had a friend with me. The last time I went there must have been four years ago. At first glance, the trees seemed to go on for a long time, but after only about 50 meters or so, there is a dirt ridge to the left and to the right. These ridges are about two and a half meters high. Then, suddenly, as if misplaced, there are a few cabins with no pattern to their positions, scattered over roughly 250 meters with a shallow pond and thick wood on the sides. Between them is grass and thin bushes and some trees. The whole area had a rectangular shape. We had crossed the ridge at one of the rectangle's short sides. The cabins all looked like they were built sometime in the 80s with flat roofs. When we first went there, we thought it was odd, but it could just be an abandoned resort or something like that. But when we started to look through the window, inside, most were empty or had some things covered with blankets on them. I remember thinking it was creepy, but when we found animal remainders all over the land behind the ridge, way more than usual in the woods, we started to get really scared. As we went deeper into it, which was only when we were there the second time, I remembered thinking how odd it was that there were no signs or anything to mark this as someone's property, and there were no roads leading to it either. When we got to the end of it last time we went there, it felt like we were being watched intently. As we wanted to leave, I spot a tall, hooded man in dark clothing walking towards us about 80 to 100 meters away. It looked like he had a rifle swung over his back. My friend and I started running away as fast as we could in the direction of my house. I didn't see the man following us. Once we reached the ridge, our view of the man is blocked by the cabin. But my friend climbs over first and I follow him. We run and don't stop running until we were home again. We have never told our parents or anyone else because we don't think they would believe us. My friend doesn't really like to talk about it, but I wanted to share this story because I feel like I'm slowly forgetting details every year that passes. I haven't been back there, nor have I seen that man ever after. I still have no idea what that place was or who the man was, and I'm happy that we got away in time. Also, English is not my first language, so I do apologize for any typos or errors, Swamp Dweller. Thank you for sharing my encounter. When I lived in rural Maine, my boyfriend at the time took me on a drive in his truck. He wanted to show me something he said he had learned about from one of his college professors. We already kind of lived in the middle of nowhere, but we drove even further into literally nowhere. We were on this road that was five to eight miles of just forest on both sides. No houses, no signs, no driveway, nothing but a winding road. Then he pulls over near a slight break in the trees. There was a very overgrown old driveway chained off it was dilapidated with signage that said private property. We parked on the road and walked about a half mile. Eventually, we came upon this old, abandoned log cabin style house. I don't know when it was built, but it was old enough to not have any connection to the electricity grid 
and no electrical outlets inside at all. It was a bit odd, but my boyfriend said he had been there before and led me to a door in the back where we could break in. He mentioned that the last property owner said in their wall that no changes could be made to the property after they died, like no agriculture or major renovations, so I guess that's why the land was never resold since nobody could do anything with it. I don't remember if we entered through the second floor somehow or climbed up the stairs once inside, but I remember being on this loft that overlooked the interior of the cabin. With no railing, probably a 15 foot plus drop right at the edge of the loft, maybe there weren't any stairs inside at all. Not even a ladder. I don't really remember. It was back in the fall of 2011 when I was a freshman in college, so it is a bit fuzzy being over 10 years ago now. I remember seeing an old wood stove made of iron downstairs in a countertop, but otherwise I think the place was sparse and made entirely of wood. There was no sink in the kitchen area and no bathroom, so no plumbing either. The loft we were on literally had thousands of dead flies all over the floor. It was creepy and downright gross. I know they could have gotten stuck there over the years, but the sheer number of them covering every surface, and they had not been decayed. They just turned dust. It was just so unnerving. My boyfriend, for some weird reason, decides this is a nice place to smoke some weed. I didn't want to stay, but he laid a blanket out over the flies and sat down and rolled a joint. I did take a couple of puffs, but started getting real uneasy really quick, so I stopped. I'm a regular smoker. I'm a regular smoker, but this was just a weird situation, and I didn't want to make myself any more paranoid than I might have already been. Then suddenly... I realized that the sun was setting and we were losing light very quickly. The cabin very quickly got this terrifying impending doom feeling and I knew I just needed to get the hell out of that cabin. I expressed my concerns to my boyfriend multiple times, each time seeing more desperate, but he was not worried and took his sweet ass time hand rolling himself a cigarette and taking all the unnecessary stuff out of his pockets, laying them out on the blanket, slowly putting them away. It was pissing me off, and he wasn't taking me seriously, and I had such a sense of urgency to get the hell out of there. I ended up leaving out of the cabin first, and started hauling ass down the half-mile, long dirt driveway to get out and away. My boyfriend shuffled behind me, fumbling with things in his hands. He was practically a prepper and carried all sorts of things with him in his pockets. Cargo pants, backpack, etc. Always things like flashlights, lighters, weed pipes, rolling papers, etc. We got out of the woods just as we were losing that last light before the true darkness set in. Mind you, this country road has no streetlights the entire way. He had flashlights, but I didn't feel that flashlights equaled safety. I felt we were being watched and whatever it was was super negative. I don't know if I overreacted or my boyfriend was literally just doped up and clueless, but I never have really trusted him after that. I don't know why the heck I let myself get in that situation. He's not in my life anymore, of course. But I'll never, ever, jump into some random abandoned cabin, ever again. I remember feeling odd the whole trip, although our camping trips were routine at that point. Every month at this time, my best friend Josh and I would pick a weekend and head to a nearby forest for a couple of days to go hunting or fishing. This time around, we had chosen a scenic valley near the base of Mount Rainier, with a cabin built on a small ridge right above the river. We decided to try our hand at panning for gold, and I was filling my jeep up with shovels and even a sluice box Josh's dad had let us borrow for a few days. 
He had also contacted the claim owner for us and got permission so we could mine his gold. You got your GPS? Caitlin asked as she packed up some sandwiches for the road into my backpack. I walked over and kissed her while brushing a stray strand of her black hair from her face. Of course, hon, I replied. I promise no repeat of what happened last fall. Last fall, me and Josh had gotten lost due to some extenuating circumstances. Point is, we learned the importance of keeping a good, high-quality GPS on hand. Trust me, in a bad situation, it's a lifesaver. Josh and I had grown up together. We were next-door neighbors as kids, and a mutual love of anime, video games, and the outdoors cemented our status of inseparable friends. When I was hospitalized in grade school after getting hit by a truck, Josh was at my side, cracking jokes, and he was the one who took pride in painting me as a total sleazeball at my wedding sit-down dinner when he gave his best man toast. There used to be a great picture of us together, groom and best man, but I had found it a few nights ago, and Josh's image had been burned off. A grim reminder of the fire that burned a couple rooms in my house last year. After my wife finished making sure I had all my ducks in a row, she gave me a kiss and sent me on my way. A short drive took me to Josh's house. Josh had his long, black hair and a ponytail, and was swinging his daughter Samantha around in the air as her musical laughter filled my ears. Uncle Gray! She screamed as Josh set her down and I stepped out of my jeep. She ran around and hugged me at the knees, laughing. Then she stepped back, looking towards her house as she had just remembered something, and took off running with a small wave. Josh laughed as he fondly watched his daughter run inside. I'll go get my bags, bud. You want anything? A beer? Water? I shook my head. Well, I don't give a damn, he said. You'll still have to come say hi to Cassandra. She's going to feed you, so just sit down and eat. Cassandra was raised by her grandmother and had the habit of cooking for anyone that came over ingrained into her being. I chuckled and walked to the kitchen. At least her food was very good. It took about 45 minutes for Cassandra to be satisfied we had eaten enough to let us leave. As we loaded up into the jeep, Samantha came running across with two brown paper bags. Here, Daddy. Uncle Gray. I love you. She said, handing us each a bag, followed by a kiss on the cheek. Her and Cassandra stood on the driveway waving at us as we left. It didn't take us long to arrive at the cabin. We took a moment to call our wives and let them know we made it safely. Then we headed to the river to try some panning. I found a shallow area where I was able to set up the sluice, and Josh dug up a bucket of dirt and squatted in some shallow water to do some serious panning. After a few hours, we had each retrieved small amounts of gold. Far from enough to make us rich, but enough for us to go home with something shiny. When we went back inside, Josh showed me this ugly little figure he had found. It looked like something out of one of those Blair Witch movies. I told him to get rid of it as it probably had some bad juju. He shrugged and tossed it into the firewood. That night by the campfire, the uneasy feeling had returned. The night felt off. Even the joint wasn't helping me relax. The trees seemed to be gnarled, more so than usual, and some of the long shadows seemed to be moving on their own. Josh, by the fire roasting a hot dog when we heard it, a distinct howl filled the valley air making my hair stand on end and chills run down my spine. Wolves aren't unheard of here in Washington, but they're also not very common. I also noticed, at that moment, that all the nighttime sounds had suddenly stopped. The crickets, the frogs, the owls were all completely silent. Feeling instantly nervous and alert, I dropped the joint as my eyes scanned the tree line. 
It was dark and hard to see into the darkness after staring into the fire for so long, but I could vaguely see a few hunched over shapes slowly creeping toward us. I started walking backwards, not taking my eyes off the dark and taunting shadows. The vague outlines danced in and out of my vision as my eyes adjusted to the shades of darkness in front of me. I could sense Joss walking backwards next to me. And then an unspoken cue. We both took off sprinting to the door. We got inside and slammed it shut, sliding the locks into place as we caught our breath and made shushing gestures at each other. We both listened as whatever it was slowly walked around and inspected our campsite. We heard loud sniffing, a bag being ruffled, and then a strange sound that was like something wooden being knocked on the door. We heard an angry growl, and then everything went silent. I almost dared not to look at one of the windows illuminated by our still crackling fire, but I had to. Fortunately, I didn't see anything terrifying, but at that moment we heard something that made everything we had experienced so far that night turn into a stroll in the park. Laughter. To be specific, it sounded like a little girl laughing outside. It sounded just like Samantha laughing outside. Josh's eyes were wide open and a look of anguish crossed his face as he ripped open the door. There was nothing there. He screamed, Sam, and took off running into the woods. I tore after him, but no matter how fast I went, he kept picking up distance on me, until eventually he vanished out of sight in the tree line. I kept hearing that childlike laugh just at a distance in the shadows teasing me before it disappeared completely. Suddenly it was like a switch was flipped on. All the animals regained their voices, the sound of crickets chirping was thick in the air, and I heard the hoot of an owl far off in the distance. I spent the next two hours searching, calling out Josh's name to no avail. I couldn't even find any tracks to follow. When I finally did lay down, it was very late and I barely slept. I woke up the next morning to find all of our equipment outside and supplies still there, but no sign of Josh. I walked into the woods yelling for him, looking for any signs of his passing. Nothing. I called his phone, but it just rang until it was picked up by voicemail. I realized then I was going to have to organize a search party. I called my wife to tell her what was happening. She stopped me almost right away and asked me, who, who is Josh? You know who Josh is. He's my best friend. You don't hang out with anyone named Josh, she insisted. Unless you're keeping something from me. I laughed. That's very good. Okay, fine. I'll play along. He was the best man at our wedding. He has an adorable daughter named Samantha who, who loves her aunt Caitlin. I expected to get a laugh from her. Instead, what she said made that terrible feeling return. Babe, are you okay? She asked. She suddenly sounded very worried. Come home right away, sweetie. You're not making any sense. I promised I'd be home soon, hung up, and called Cassandra's phone, expecting Samantha to pick it up like she usually does. Instead, Cassandra answered. She sounded worn out. Cass, I said. Cass, listen to me. Last night, Josh heard something that sounded like Samantha and ran off into the woods. Now I can't find him. Who, who, who's Samantha? She said. Who's Josh, and who the hell are you? How did you get my number? The interaction went downhill from there. She soon hung up on me. I felt like I was going to be sick. None of this made any sense. First, that conversation with my wife, and now the one with Cassandra. I'd love to say I figured out what happened, but no. Nothing has been the same since that camping trip, and I doubt that it will ever make any sense. I've spoken to Josh's parents. They remember me just fine. But like everyone else, they insist that Josh and Samantha aren't real. I'm slowly coming to grips with the idea that they may have been somehow erased, with the idea that somehow they stopped existing entirely.
I have absolutely no idea what we encountered in the woods at the cabin that night. I have no idea why things are this way. What I do know, though, is I found two brown paper bags filled with chocolate chip cookies in my Jeep. If Josh and Sam aren't real, where did the cookies come from? My name is Mikey, and I am 17 years old. I live in a small town with a lot of forest and woods, so it is common to see hunters out and around town with their gear. Hunting is a very big pastime in my town. With that comes a few days off early in the school year just for kids to go hunting with their family. Me telling you all this will make more sense soon and will help you make more of the situation. So about a year ago, I was with a small group of friends. Their names were Ethan, Zach, and Josh. Since our towns are so boring, we must make do with what we have, and that leads to more illegal activities like exploring abandoned buildings since our town has a lot of those. It was getting dark out and all of us decided to leave Zach's house to go to an abandoned cabin in the woods that our friend earlier that day was telling us about. We texted him and got the address and unfortunately he could not go with us that night, but told us it was steep and muddy and he had to walk through the woods. So, wear bad shoes that, you know, you didn't mind getting dirty. With that information, we got into the car and drove about 20 minutes out into the countryside of town. No cars were really coming past us at this point, and luckily, we got to the destination. There was a decent amount of service, but, of course, right as we got in the building, we lost all service. We found a pretty decent place to park on the side of the road and treaded our way up the steep hill. Our friend, being right it took us about 20-30 minutes to get up the hill alone because it was so steep and muddy. But the walk was worth it because ahead of us was a beautiful cabin with custom wooden carved statues out in front of the house with a unique copper roofing. At first analysis, it made me think that this was some sort of vacation home because of the size of the structure, but it was too torn up on the side of the house to be anything used at this point, if that makes any sense. I wouldn't say the building was entirely abandoned because all it needed was a little renovation to be good as new. Of course, we weren't going to pass up on such a location to explore and walked through the broken wall to get in. It led us to the inside main living room, which, without context of the outer house, you would think was a hotel lobby. We turned on our phone flashlights. It had gotten darker outside and didn't help the inside's interior lighting. We took videos and Snapchats of the place and made our way to the basement after Zach called us to it. We all were a bit jumpy and nervous at this point because we had no idea what was down there and couldn't even begin to fathom what could be there. I couldn't explain why I felt so anxious. The place didn't give off horror movie vibes, but something about the chill and coldness of the basement seeping through the bottom of the door was very odd, especially since it was so warm outside. After a bit of arguing over whether we should leave the door closed and move on our way, we decided to open it. Ethan was the one to man up and slowly edge the door open. We all got instantly quieter and started to slowly push each other down the steps. It was very dark, but a green glowing light around the corner of the wall started flickering in and out. I was leading the group, and as I go to turn my head to see what was down, a huge stomping sound charges me, and I flip my head around, and I scream to run. We all bolt up the stairs and hear stomping sounds behind us. We all run to the top of the hill, and as I get ready to dip down, Zack drops down and stares at the house. Whoever was behind us was not behind us anymore, so I dropped down beside Zach, Dalton, and Ethan. In a normal situation, people would leave, but as I said before, this town is very boring. 
and we never get to do anything that's fun, and this is probably the most adrenaline we've had in our entire life. It was so dark that the person could not have seen us, which was good, but also bad because we couldn't see them. We lay there in silence for a moment and stare at the house. We all hold our breath as we hear something scraping the wood inside the house. A man comes out dragging something in a large trash bag. It could have been a body. It could have been anything. But Zack said it could be a deer. Me and Ethan, being how we are, instantly assumed it was a body. The man seemed in a hurry and dragged whatever it was out into a four-wheeler, which we didn't notice earlier, and he left. What was strange, though, is when he turned the lights on the vehicle in front of it, there was a tremendous amount of blood covering the pavement and looked as if someone was dragged across it to create the blood trail. As he drove away, I got a better look at the bag and noticed it could not have been a deer because it was too small and extended farther outwards instead of like a large scale an animal would be. After watching all this go down, we went back down to the car and went home. After about a year later, we don't think about it much, but it was recently brought up in a conversation with kids at school, and no one believes us after all of us swearing it happened. We didn't end up telling our parents or police about the situation because we were scared we would get in trouble for being up there, but I wanted to share this experience to see what everyone else thinks about it. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true cabin horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it, which helps the swamp grow. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcast, maybe give this a 5-star rating over there as it helps me grow on those platforms, and it's very much appreciated. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit the subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them nearly every single day and all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'm always looking for brand new scary stories to share from nature or the supernatural. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and just about anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. It's absolutely free and always will be. If you would like to support the swamp outside of that, come join me over on Twitch. You can find a link in the description. I play multiple horror games a week over there, and it's a lot of fun. Maybe check out our merch store as well. I've got t-shirts, hoodies, and more. Plus, I've got some brand new designs coming very soon. Don't forget to join me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for behind-the-scenes looks at the swamp, and I'll see you soon with another creepy episode.